Hi, it's Hal Anderson. Thanks for checking out the daily podcast for my show, Connecting Winnipeg. And if you can, please listen live weekdays from 10 to noon on 680 CJOB. Cyrus Dirksen comes on with us every Friday after 1130. He joins us now. Cyrus, good morning. Hey, Hal. How you doing? I'm excellent. Always, uh, listen, I love chatting with you anyhow, but I know that when we are talking, we're close to the weekend, and so I get even <laughs> a little more excited than normal. Uh, my yeah, weekend is good. very close, and I don't know about you, but boy, I, I, not that much changes. I'm still at home even on the weekend, and I'm at home during the week, but it just feels nice to get close to the weekend. Hey, um, uh, yeah, friendship. Sure. We talk a lot about friendship, and I thought this headline was kind of interesting, and I'm anxious to hear what you have to say about this. The chemistry of friendship. What's this all about? Well, there's things that help us to create friends, and I know that there's a lot of people out there, and maybe now that the pandemic restrictions are starting to, you know, to reduce and things like that, people are going to be more interested in getting out there and, and uh, making friends again, finding new friends maybe. This is important, and so there's some factors that help you to make friends. And one of the first ones is just being around people. So if you're around somebody long enough, you just start to like them more. They become more attractive physically. They become more attractive emotionally. You kind of get used to them. It's called the mere exposure effect. Just being exposed to somebody helps. If you have more similarities, it seems to help people um, to get along. If you're in the same life stage, if you have similar, uh, similar goals, uh, and then there's also this idea that you can have an instant friend. Uh, so this is not kind of just being exposed to somebody, being around somebody, or having similarities to them. This instant friendship seems to come when you have kind of this uh, bond, uh, maybe the same sense of humor, the same interaction pattern. You want to be like that person. They're attractive to you, and you want to be like them, uh, or you want them uh, to kind of be closer to you because they're just so kind of interpersonally in sync with what you think and how you behave moment by moment. And so that's kind of that instant friendship. So there's lots of hope for us. You just have to find places where things are either similar to you, people are similar to you, or focus on people who are around you a lot. And then every once in a while you might get lucky and find somebody who just becomes kind of that instant soulmate, that instant friend. I see a lot of stories uh, about how difficult it is for men to make uh, to make friends, especially later in life. Why is that? Any any thoughts on that, Cyrus? I have some thoughts on that. I think that um, I think that's actually somewhat of a cultural thing. I don't know if it's as much of a gender uh, thing as we sometimes think it is. Like people might attribute that to kind of hormones or testosterone or things like that. But if you go to some other cultures around the world, you'll find that when they don't have as much of a masculinity culture, uh, men can have deep friendships and you can see men holding hands as they walk down the street together. uh, And it's totally culturally appropriate. They can be more kind of emotionally intimate together. Um, and so I actually feel like that's something uh, that's of a North American, I mean, it's not just in North America for sure, but a North American cultural idea that to be masculine in order to be kind of a man, uh, mm-hmm. you need to kind of keep your feelings to yourself, uh, that, you, that you can't uh, kind of share in the same way. And there's actually research showing that when men are put into situations where it seems to become um, you know, acceptable to emotionally share and connect, they're able to do it as well as women and do it with other men. They, they mostly catch you just have to kind of find a way to kind of bridge some of those barriers that we have in our culture uh, around that activity. All right, next headline for Cyrus. When partners and siblings 
can't get along. I think I've talked about this before. Uh, I do not really get along all that well with my sister. What's that all about? Well, I think uh, the time when you have a new partner and they're coming into your family is one of the most, what they're saying here is that it's one of the most vulnerable times for your family connections. And so when you have a new partner, they might not get along with your family. And, and that can cause a lot of stress and actually cause a lot of breakups with your siblings. It can make it so that you're not getting along with them as, as well, hmm. uh, because maybe uh, your new partner doesn't have the same values, doesn't have the same culture. Um, and so all of a sudden there's this disconnect. And there could be a lot of anger and a lot of frustration, uh, you know, around these things and, uh, you know, a lot of blaming. And then there can also, this can come from abusive relationships as well. So sometimes when people are being abused, the abuser will try to gain control of that person by making a lot of requests and demands and some of them, and usually or sometimes isolating that person uh, from their supports because then they can have more control. And so, yeah, when you have somebody new coming into a person's life, it can lead to a disconnect between that person and the family. And, and usually what you're doing in that situation is you're talking to your family about your partner. It's like, what don't you like about my partner or what's wrong? Trying to make it open and then, you know, going through a process of potentially, you know, creating some boundaries in order to make that relationship easier. Because usually it's easier to spend time around people when it's not as intense or long. And so trying to find, um, you know, shorter periods of time, maybe with less alcohol or, or smaller groups can be easier uh, for people to kind of get along with each other. And, uh, and hopefully that helps the situation. All right, and our last headline here for Cyrus, anxiety. Why evening anxiety is a cause for concern. I, over the years, have dealt with anxiety. At times it's worse than, than other times. What, what is it about evening anxiety, and why is this especially concerning, Cyrus? Well, I actually really liked um, this article because I've seen people have very different profiles around their days with anxiety for some time, and I've been trying to find the relationship in my clients on, on you know, if it's meaningful or not. Some people get anxious in the morning, some people get anxious at night, some people get anxious, uh, you know, in the day, and, and it's like, what what is this? It must be there must be something going on. And what this research found was that. Uh, people with lower levels of anxiety or more typical anxiety feel anxiety more in the beginning of the day and it kind of you know lessens over time and that's not everybody these are large numbers of course but on average mm-hmm. people have that experience and then uh, people who have more clinical you know disordered anxiety um, will have more consistent anxiety through the day it won't reduce or may even increase in the evening and uh, that might be i mean you can't use these things to diagnose yourself for sure but it can be a red flag. It can be something that, you know, people listening can say, well, actually, my anxiety does get worse or stays the same. Maybe it is more significant. And that might be a cue for you to kind of go and get some help. Uh, the reasons why aren't as clear. I think at this stage, we're just seeing like this is a pattern. And uh, and, and they're actually making this kind of uh, potential hypothesis that, you know, anxiety disorders may be less about high levels of anxiety, uh, but maybe more about just there's no reduction in anxiety because we all have high levels of fear at times, high right. levels of nervousness at times, or most people do. Um, but it's supposed to be kind of a temporary thing. It's supposed to be short-lived, and it's supposed to make sense with your situation. Uh, so it's like, wow, I had this big spike of anxiety, and it didn't make sense. I was just at the grocery store or something like that. Whereas if somebody had this big spike of anxiety when they're being chased by a bear or doing a presentation, they wouldn't think twice. So if, is it, does it make sense with the situation? And then the second piece is, does it go away? Can you, uh, can you begin to relax again? And, and people who have this clinical anxiety, maybe just have it continue uh, and they can't get back into a place of calm. And that's maybe when it's time to go and seek help. 
And I think much of that, you know, what you've said there, you know, typically about anxiety, much of that's out the window during the pandemic, right? I mean, over the past couple of years, anxiety uh, for many people, I think, has developed into panic attacks. And it's just been a really unusual two years. And so who knows? Mm, I agree. I think this has been a very stressful time. And when you go through these kinds of you know, everybody's having to adjust to different things. Everybody's, you know, having less supports in their life and they're financially stressed and relationally stressed. Uh, there's a lot more, uh, you know, atypical anxiety out there. A lot of people who are, you know, potentially had some vulnerability to anxiety, but we're doing okay, may have now kind of taken that step into having a problem. And, and hopefully as we come out of this time, you know, people can begin to heal, but they might need some help, that's for sure. All right, Cyrus, enjoy your weekend. You too. Thanks, Hal. Thank you, Dr. Cyrus Dirksen, drcyrus.com, D-R-S-Y-R-A-S dot com.